When I look around and see the good things He does for me, I know I'm unworthy of them all But His blessings He freely gives I owe My life to Him I've got so much to thank Him for You see, he's been so good to me. And when I think of what he's done and where he has brought me from, I've got so much to thank him for. And sometimes while on this way I kneel, I stop and I Thank you for all you've done for me. And someday on heaven, sure, oh please, let me kneel once more. I've got so much to thank Him for. And I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to pray and for well you see he's been so good to me and when I think of what he's done and where he has brought me from I've got so much to thank him for when I think of what he's done and where he has brought me from I've got so much to thank him for thank you Lord amen thank you brother Justin God bless you well it's a church house of full of people today this is tremendous uh, you know, um, Thanksgiving Sundays, most places, everybody leaves town. And if you live in an area like this, everybody comes here, I guess. Uh, but I'm happy that we're together on this Lord's Day. Uh, Thanksgiving week, of course, always special. If I were to ask you this morning uh, why the children of Israel were overcome by their enemies, why they were conquered, you might say, oh, that's easy, they, they're idolatry. Their immorality. <clears throat> That's wrong. That's not correct. I was reading recently in the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, I came to a verse where the Lord said, Because you serve not the Lord with joyfulness, with gladness of heart for all the abundance of the things God has given you, I'll let the enemies conquer you. And it dawned on me, that the root sin of Israel was not their idols and not their immorality. Yeah. It was their lack of thankfulness. Yes. Every good thing in life grows in the garden of gratitude. And every wicked thing, every sin, grows where the Lord's people fail to be thankful. That's right. 
With that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me this morning, would you please? To the book of Exodus. We're going to follow the children of Israel for a little bit this morning. We're going to take a trip with them. Would you take a journey with me? We're going to go back in time several thousand years and halfway around the world, and we're going to walk with the children of Israel through that desert. I want you to find Exodus chapter number 14 in your Bible. We'll begin here. And keep your Bible open. and Get a pen in hand. I'm going to let you mark some things in your Bible today. I hope you can go back and think on when we're done. And before I read the text, may I just tell you, when I finish preaching in a very few minutes, and I'm not going to preach all day, and all God's people said, yeah, that get some of you spiritual for the first time this morning. That's good. And I'm not going to preach all day. But when I finish preaching, I'm going to ask every person in the room, Everybody, if you're breathing, I'm talking to you, everybody, to join me in one of two prayers. And if you say, well, I'm not sure about that, that'll be between you and God, not me and you. And if you say, well, which one am I supposed to pray? You'll know when we get there. But here's what I know. When God speaks to us, the right thing for us to do is talk back to him. And when God speaks to us through his word, the right response is prayer. So we're not going to end with me preaching today. We're going to end with all of us praying. I bring you to Exodus chapter 14 because in Exodus 14, the children of Israel, led by Moses, have just come out of Egypt. I've been in Cairo, Egypt, and I remember it was the first place I'd ever traveled outside uh, this, this particular culture where I was awakened in the morning by the Muslim call to prayer. And uh, it, was, it was quite a thing. We saw the Nile River and lots of things in Cairo, and I, I stood there. Matter of fact, we went through the museum of Cairo, and there's a certain room where there are three pharaohs, Pastor. They've, they've found them in the pyramids, found their tombs, and they've got the bodies of three pharaohs with their heads unwound, so perfectly preserved. You can still see the hair, the facial structure, all of that. And I stood there at the feet of those three mummified bodies and the guy giving the tour said, one of these three, one of these two really, was the Pharaoh at the time of Moses. And he kind of said it glibly and then walked on. I stood there looking at those two fellows and I thought, I don't know which one of you, but one of the two of you had a hard time, I'm telling you. <laughs> I've been there. The children of Israel served there more than 400 years and God brought them out with a mighty hand. And look at Exodus 14, verse number 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. I noticed a moment ago that the fear of God and the faith in God are connected. You, you, you trust the one that is so awe-inspiring you stand in awe of him. So we fear the Lord and we faith the Lord. But would you mark in the opening words of verse 31, Israel saw. Imagine. Imagine standing on this side of the water and watching all the Egyptian army drown there. You had nothing to do with it. It was all the Lord. And their bodies are lying along the shore. And you know God did that. And God did that for us. What a mighty God we serve. All right, if you see it, what do you do? Look at the next verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses. <laughs> How many of you think you might sing if you saw that too? So you mark Israel's Saul in verse 31. In verse 1, I want you to mark, then sang Moses. What is the right response? We worship God. We say, hallelujah, what a mighty God we serve. What a merciful Savior we have. In the rest of this chapter, Moses sings. When you come down to verse number 21, his sister Miriam. Everybody remember Sister Miriam? 
Well, his sister Miriam, she gets the, the timbrels and she starts singing. <laughs> and uh, she leads a chorus of women in singing. And they, look at verse 21, she answered them, sing ye to the Lord. So I love this. Moses takes off singing and after a little while, there's a whole choir of people singing and Miriam's leading the chorus. He goes, they're all just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Now, time out right there. How many of you think if you saw that and you sang that, that the days ahead would be really spiritual, wonderful days? Wouldn't you think that? I told somebody the other day, one of the things that shocks me about me <clears throat> is how quickly I can go from spiritual to fleshly. Isn't it strange? Like you can come to a meeting like this, sense the presence of God, talk about how good God is, and get right in the car, and somebody cut you off out here on this crazy highway, and immediately you're fussing and talking about, you know, how stupid everybody is, and how awful the world is. And, isn't that right? Come on now. Confession's good for the soul. Some things never change. I did not bring you to Exodus today to show you Israel. I brought you to Exodus today to show you you. Look, please, the Bible doesn't say it's a lens on Israel. It says it's a mirror on us. So let's look at ourselves. Brace yourself. Come down to verse number 23. They've just been seeing and singing. <laughs> verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people, what's that word, church? Would you mark it in your Bible? Exodus 15, verse 24. And the people murmured. Come to chapter 16. By the way, we'll come back to these murmurings in just a moment. Show you the cure for it. But look at chapter 16. They took their journey. Remember the journey? They took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel. Came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. Look, they've only been gone from Egypt for two months. Two months they've been out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were making stones to make pyramids in Egypt. They were under hard taskmasters. God delivered them, brought them out with a mighty hand. They had the biggest worship service they've ever had. They've only been out two months. And look at verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel, what's that word, church? Murmured. Turn a page, come to chapter 17. You'd think it'd get better, wouldn't you? And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people what? And the people murmured. Murmur, murmur, murmur. <laughs> By the way, before you get too pious and start pointing the finger at them, I want you to ponder how good God has been to us. How many of you are breathing? Raise your hand, please. You're breathing. If your neighbor didn't raise her hand, check on him real quick, would you please? That breath is God's gift to you. You may say, I don't feel good today. Well, you may not feel good, but you felt well enough to be here. And many couldn't. And if you're saved, forget the physical. Think of all the spiritual blessings. I'm telling you, people, God's been awfully good to us. By the way, the Bible says the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. Isn't that interesting? 
we usually think the goodness of God leads you to praise. No, no. First, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Because when you realize how good God is and how wicked your own heart is, and you realize it's all grace and you didn't deserve or merit any of it, you've got to stand in awe of who our God is. But these people, they forgot. You know what I have come to find? One of the great besetting sins of my life. Now, you're not going to think this is awful, but it is. I'm going to confess a sin to you today. Not if you'd forgive me, because you can't forgive me. Only Jesus can forgive me. But one of the great besetting sins of my life is the sin of forgetfulness. Now, I've got a pretty good memory. But I'm a terrible forgetter. Spurgeon said, by some strange perversity, we forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. <laughs> Isn't it strange how you can remember every detail of what some ugly thing somebody said to you was? You remember every bad thing ever done to you. But how quickly we forget how good the Lord has been to all of us. You all know why there's not more thankfulness? Because of our forgetfulness. How many of you have a good short-term memory? I'm just curious. You would say, short-term, that's my strength. Would you raise your left hand, please? You know, God bless all three of you. That's really wonderful. <laughs> How many of you have a good long-term memory? Would you raise your hand, please? My soul. How many of you have no memory at all? Would you raise your hand, please? It's bad, really bad. Can I tell you there's something better? Watch me now. There's something better than short-term memory and long-term memory. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's spiritual memory. And you know the problem with some of us? We've got spiritual amnesia. So you got to go back. Look, stir yourself up by way of remembrance. You got to go back and you got to start thinking how good God has been to us. So let me show you what the Lord did for them. Back up, same three stories, start in chapter 15. And let me show you the things that we must remember if we're going to conquer the sin of forgetfulness. Look at Exodus 15. Here's the first one. First occasion, we're at Marah. That's bitter waters. The people murmured in verse 24. Look at verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord. How many of you know that's a good place to start? Listen to me just a second. When things are not good, stop talking to everybody else about it and start talking to the one person who can do something about it. Social media is full of this, isn't it? You don't know why social media is so popular? Because we love to talk about what a hard time we're having. And we all love pity. And we want somebody to say, just you and Job, you're the only two that ever had it this bad. <laughs> Pity's not going to get you through. Prayer's going to get you through. Look at it. He cried unto the Lord. I love this. And the Lord showed him a tree. Which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Rapha. The God who can bring life out of death. The God who can take disease and make it health. The God who can take bitter things and make them sweet. Amen. Here's the first thing to remember. Would you write it down somewhere? Write it down, please, on a piece of paper. A short pencil is better than a long memory, all right? So if you write it down, you'll remember it. Number one, we must remember that only God can take bitter things and make them sweet. Life can get bitter at times. People can be bitter towards us. Did you know there's something more dangerous than bitter waters? Yeah. 
It's a bitter spirit. I travel every week, and I must confess to you, I meet a lot of bitter people. Sad, really. I walk through airports sometimes and look at people and listen to people and interact with people, and they're just angry. They're frustrated. And this world is full of hate. You want to know why the world is full of hate? Because of so many bitter souls. That's what sin does. Look, every bitter thing in life, you trace it back upstream. You find it. Its fountain, its, its watershed is in the fall of man. That's what introduced all bitterness into this world. And only the Lord can take the bitter things and make them sweet in our lives. I wish I could tell you that all the bitter people are out there. But the truth is, there's bitter people in church houses too. And some people live and die their whole life. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Do you know why they murmur all the time? Because all they can see is the bitterness and they miss God in the midst of it all. Do you know what Israel needed? Israel didn't just need water. Israel needed God. Look, God could open the heavens and rain could have fallen upon them. He could have done it any way he wanted to do it. But this was not about water. This was about God. And whatever you're dealing with in life right now, whatever is staring you in the face and you think, man, if I could just fix this one thing... Hear me please. God is using that in your life so that you will come to know who he is. Did you notice how he did it? I love this. See, every one of these has the gospel in them. Somebody said, the gospel in Exodus? Brother, the good news is woven through the whole of scripture. Look at Jesus in Exodus chapter number 15. What did he have to do? He said, here's a tree. Cut that tree down and throw the tree in the water and the water will be made sweet. Theologians for years have debated how this happened. Can I tell you what I've come to? Only God knows. But watch this please. Who made the tree? Who made the water? Who made the tree make the water sweet? Only God. Some of you are hoping somebody can help you fix whatever you're dealing with right now. And you think, maybe if I marry the right person or become friends with the right person or get the right job, listen to me. No man on earth can do for you what only Jesus can do for you. Can I tell you what makes bitter things sweet? Let me tell you about a tree. (laughs) A tree that God planted and God tended. And God allowed to be cut down. And one day God allowed his own son to hang on that tree. Did you ever think about the cross upon which Jesus was crucified? It came from a tree that God created and somebody said, look at the bitterness on that hill. Look at the bitterness Jesus is enduring. I tell you, it was through that bitterness that every sweet thing we enjoy came because of Jesus Christ. What you need is not man. What you need is Jesus. Somebody said, if I could just get better circumstances, let me tell you, I've lived long enough to know if you could get better circumstances, something else would come and mess up everything. I have no idea what your thing is, but some of you in this room think, if I could just get this figured out, yeah, if you could get that figured out, something else would come along. You don't need better situation. What you need, you need Jesus because only the Lord can take the bitter things and make them sweet. Can I show you something? Look at the end of the chapter. We didn't read it. Look at verse 27. They came to Elam where 
there were 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees and they encamped there by the waters. Would you circle the plural? Look at this please. There were wells plural. There were trees plural. There were waters plural in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness. Can I just tell you, the Lord has more than enough to meet every need of every person in this room today. It's not about whether he has enough provision. It is about you coming to know the provider. Yes. One of the dangers, even Thanksgiving week, is we talk of the blessings and neglect the blesser. Yes. Even this Thursday, people gather around tables and go around the circle and share about the gifts, the gifts, the gifts. Could I recommend we back up one step this week and talk more about the giver than we do the gifts? Remember, only God can take bitter things and make them sweet. Yes. Come to the second one. Look at chapter 16. In verse 2, they're murmuring. They're, they're hungry. Look at verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, What to God? <laughs> Doesn't that sound spiritual? Isn't it funny how we dress flesh up, yeah. put church clothes on, and use Christianese language? But we miss the heart of God. Would to God we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this old sin with hunger. Let me ask you a question. Do you really think God brought them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness? Would you look at me now just a second? Do you really think God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins just to make your life miserable? Do you really think he saved you? To make a train wreck out of the rest of your life. Do you really think that? What's happened to us people? We've forgotten the goodness of God. Matter of fact, look at verse 2 and verse 3. Here's, here's the deceitfulness of our own hearts. What do they do? First thing they do is they blame Moses when it was God who was working. You know what happens? When things don't go our way, the first thing we do, we start trying to find somebody to blame. Somebody, somebody's got to take the blame for this. Did it ever dawn on you, maybe it's not about people, maybe God's working behind the scenes in all of this? Right. And notice the second thing that they do. They actually think that death is better than life. They said, we wish we had died. I hadn't planned to say this today, but suicide is up 200% from my father's generation to mine. Every 38 seconds in America, another teenager attempts suicide. About two years ago, a dear friend of mine, not a young man, an older man, took his own life. And I'm, and I'm sitting here right now thinking there's probably somebody even in this room that the devil who hates you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He didn't come to give life and life more abundantly. He's trying to rob you of every good thing God has for you. And some devil is saying to you, you might as well just end it all. You've got nothing to live for. Listen to me. If you're breathing, God's not finished with you. Solomon said a living dog is better than a dead lion. You might feel like a dog today. You ever been there? You might wish you were a lion and you're not. But you're alive, aren't you? Amen. So don't you quit before God is finished. And then the ultimate. Look at verse number 3. They remembered only the good in Egypt and none of the bad. Yeah. How crazy is this? There's a miserable insanity to sin, isn't there? They remembered only the pleasure that was there and none of the pain that was there. They've only been gone two months. You mean in two months' time they forgot the whip? In two months' time they forgot the bricks? In two months' time 
They forgot all the junk that they had to gather to make stones to, to fulfill the wishes, the building projects of Pharaoh. You're telling me in two months' time they forgot all of that. How quickly we forget. There's probably some believers in this room. And you're thinking back to the old life. And all you can remember is the little pleasure of sin that lasts only for a season. You better go back and remember the scar and the misery of that sin and the joy that it robbed you of. And then, look at this, they missed God's great purpose in it all. They were missing God, but come to verse number 4, read on. Then said the Lord unto Moses, aren't you glad God speaks to us even when we're miserable? Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we? That you murmur against us. Whew. Do you understand your grumbling is not against people or situations? It's always against God. You can't grumble and be grateful at the same time. You just can't do it. You can't fuss about everything going on and be in a spirit of worship and praise at the same moment. It's impossible. And God said, I hear you. I heard what you said in the car. I heard what you said under your breath. I heard it. I heard what you said in your heart that you never even put on your lips. I, I heard all of that. Watch this. And now God speaks. Whew. God, speak to us today. And what does God say? God says, every day I'm going to rain some bread from heaven for you. This is manna. <laughs> you know what manna means? It literally means, what is it? Because when they first saw it, they said, what is this? And it became that name, manna. And some of you are dealing with something right now. You're saying, what is this? It's what God chose for you. Amen. What is this? It's, look please, it's God's messenger to you. Yes. What is this? This is the opportunity to prove that Jesus is more than enough. That's what this is. What is it you're dealing with in life right now? Write a second thing down. We must not only remember that only God can take bitter things and make them sweet, but we must remember that only God can meet the deepest needs of our heart. You got to eat to live. This is life. God says, I'll meet your need. You know, as a, as a preacher traveling all the time in special meetings, sometimes people mistakenly put their expectation on the preacher. Don't they, Pastor? They think, well, maybe the preacher will say something today that I really need. Listen to me carefully. If you get something today you really need, it won't be because this preacher preached. It will be because God spoke to you. I can't meet your need. Look, Moses couldn't meet their need. There's not a preacher on earth that can do in your heart what only Jesus can do in your heart. But I got good news. Would you like to know the good news? Jesus is enough. Would you say that please? Jesus is enough. No, I want you to say it like you mean it. Ready? Jesus is enough. Tell the person next to you. Ready? Jesus 
I've heard people in nursing homes do better. Let's try that again. Get your preaching finger out. Point at the center next to you. Ladies, this is your chance, all right? And say it. Ready? Here we go. Jesus is enough. Look at me just a second. He gave them every day, every one of them, exactly what they needed. Somebody say, well, where does Jesus come in? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 6, Jesus referred to this very text. And they said, won't you multiply bread? And he said, your fathers enjoy manna in the wilderness, but I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Listen to me. There is a need in every heart in this room that only Jesus can fill. But hallelujah be to God, Jesus is enough. Remember that only God can take the bitter and make it sweet. Remember that only Jesus can meet the greatest needs of your life. And one more little spiritual memory. Turn the page again to chapter 17. And we'll end here. They're murmuring again. Funny, isn't it? God just provided water and food. And now one day they don't have water again. And what do they do? Wouldn't you think somebody would have stood up and said, you know, I just want to testify. God's provided for us for the last few weeks. I just think the Lord's going to provide today. But they don't. Mm -mm. No, they murmur. And look at verse number four. Moses cried to the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. I wish you had time to show you this. This passage is full of questions. The people ask questions. Uh, why are we dealing with this? What are we going to do? Matter of fact, come over. Come over to verse number seven. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, here's their ultimate question. Is the Lord among us or not? May I give an answer? Yes. God is always among us. So there's questions. Moses has questions. Dear Lord, what am I going to do with these people? Watch this, please. It's all right to have questions as long as you bring your questions to the God who alone is the answer. Look what God does. Verse number five, the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I'll stand before thee there upon the rock. Would you mark that in your Bible? The rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the what? The rock. And there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. When was the last time you went to a rock and hit it and water came out? We live in the mountains of West Virginia. We have a lot of white water rafting and that kind of thing in the region where we live. And there are certain areas where, where rocks are split open and fountain springs come out and that kind of thing. I've seen that. But I've never just walked up to a rock and kicked it and suddenly water came out of it. In fact, a rock is one of the driest, hardest things on earth. Would you write this one down? Number three, you must remember that only the Lord can bring life out of the hardest things. There's no hope in a rock, is there? It is if the Lord's in charge of the rock. Who made the rock? God did. Who made the water come out of the rock? God did. By the way, I love this. I love this. As I meditated in these chapters this week for my own soul, you know what I saw? Jesus is in every one of them. Yep. Hey, hey, hey. At, at, at Mara, at the bitter waters, what was the answer? A tree. Yep. There's the cross of Jesus. 
Uh, at the day, they got manna. They were hungry. What was needed? Bread from heaven. There's Jesus, the true bread that meets the spiritual hunger of every soul. And then you come to chapter 17 and you get a rock. Paul tells us in the New Testament, there was a rock that followed Israel. Now I just got to tell you, if I saw a rock following me, I'd run. You know what I mean? But then he says this, that rock was Christ. Look, please. Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem. Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was with them there in that desert. Some of you are in the wilderness right now. You're in a barren place and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Listen to me. Jesus is with you there. And out of that hard, dry, barren place, He brings living water that quenches the deepest thirst of your soul. Do you know what that rock was? That rock was a picture of Jesus. Strong, yes, but smitten. Would you look at Jesus? Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Would you look at Jesus? Look at the cross. Yeah. It's midnight in the middle of the day as God the Father turns his back on his own son and a voice pierces that darkness. Eli, Eli, let me sit back there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was smitten on that cross. Bruised for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. Why was he smitten? Because out of that divine judgment and justice being satisfied, out of that smiting, there came a fountain of living water that quenches the deepest thirst of every soul and saves us from eternal damnation. Look at Jesus. Come to the rock. It's still flowing. Almost 20 years ago now, we were in Amman, Jordan. We were training Iraqi pastors. After, after the fall, they were going back into Baghdad to start Baptist churches. It was fascinating. And, and near the end of the trip, we'd been in meetings constantly. The Jordanian pastor who was hosting us said to us, Well, I, want, I need to show you a few things. These are Bible lands. I want you to see them before you leave. And he put us in a car. Never forget it. And drove us about 100 miles an hour through the desert for a day. From place to place. We saw the Dead Sea. It's beautiful. We went to lots of biblical places, and he drove us up on a mountain, way up high on a mountain. And when we got up there, and you could see forever in every direction. When we got up there, <clears throat> he said, "This is Mount Nebo. This is Pisgah. This is where Moses looked over in the Promised Land. It was powerful. Matter of fact, it's where Moses died." And the Bible says God buried him. And nobody knows where he's buried to this day. Now the Greek Orthodox know and they charge you about $10 a head to see it. But other than them, nobody else knows. And we're standing there. He said, look over this way. And we looked over and, I, and he said, that's Israel. At the time I had not been yet in the Holy Land. He said, just across there, he said, that's Israel. He said, Moses, somewhere in here, God showed him. said, now there's the land. You're not going in. The people are going in under Joshua, but there's the land. We walked around to the other side of the mountain and we're standing just looking at a, at a wilderness. It's just a desert. And the man said to me, I'll never forget it, he said, the children of Israel walked right through here. And I stood there imagining all those millions of people on their march to the promised land, what God did for them. And off yonder in the distance, everything was brown. Everything was brown, dust flying everywhere. And yonder in the distance, there was this this one little spot out in the middle of the wilderness that was just green. You could see it, lush. Pa 
palm trees, flowers. I mean, you could spot it many, many miles away from the top of that mountain. It was easy to see. You couldn't see any buildings, couldn't see any people, but it was just like a little oasis in the desert. What I always pictured an oasis in the desert would look like, that was it. And I said to our Jordanian host, I said, uh, what's, what's the deal with all the greenery down there? And he smiled and he said, if we had time, I'd drive you down there. He said, in the middle of that, that beautiful garden area, lush and fruitful, he said, there's a big rock right in the middle of it. And he said, there's water gushing out of that rock. He says, been there for centuries. He said, we don't know. We don't know that that's the rock geographically. There's been some debate about whether that could have actually been the rock or not. But I'll never forget this. He said, but whether that's the rock or not, he said, it's just a reminder that God can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants. Amen. I'd like to tell you this morning, the rock's still flowing. Amen. The man is still falling. Yes. And the Lord is still making bitter things sweet. Yes. If by God's grace, we'll remember him. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me around the auditorium? I want to thank you for the way you've listened to the preaching of God's Word today. Could I ask you right now, before we have any music at all, would you just close your eyes for a moment, just as tightly as you can, so you can't see anybody in the room, and they can't see you. And for just a moment, I'd like you to imagine there's nobody here but you and the Lord. Nobody, just you and the Lord. Because that is exactly what it will be like someday. When life is over and you enter eternity and you meet God, <clears throat> you're going to meet Him. And you're going to give an account, an answer for your relationship to Him. I want to ask a couple of questions. Nobody's looking at this preacher on purpose. I don't want to embarrass anybody in this room. I will not embarrass you. I give you my word. But I'd like to ask you if you'd be honest. And humble enough to tell the truth. Let's start here. How many people in this room can honestly say today, Preacher, if I died in the next 60 seconds, or Jesus came, the trumpet sounded, in the next 60 seconds, and all the Christians were caught away, I am absolutely certain, 100% sure, that my sins have been forgiven. That Jesus lives in my heart. I've been born again. And though I'm not perfect, I do have him as my Savior. And if I met God today, I know I'm ready to go to heaven. No doubt about it. I'd like you to raise your hand in the air with mine for just a moment. You say, that's me. I know that. I want you to take just a second to lower your hand and right where you sit, I want you to thank Jesus for that. Because if, look please, if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't say that. Would you just thank him for being your Savior? Now, some of us couldn't raise our hand with confidence. I want to thank you for not lying. Did you know it's dangerous to lie to God? Sure is. He knows the truth about us, doesn't he? Yeah. May I ask, would you, would you be honest and tell the truth again? I'm not coming after you or sending somebody else after you. I just want to pray for you. Who among us today would say, Preacher, if I died in the next 60 seconds or Jesus came in the next 60 seconds, I am not 100% sure that my sins have been forgiven and that I have eternal life, but I need that. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand big and high in the air with mine right now? I see you. 
Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. If you just raised your hand, you may lower your hand, but for a moment, I'd like to talk just to you, like there's nobody else in the room. I want to tell you the greatest thing anybody ever told you. God loves you. He loves you exactly like you are. Maybe you think, well, you don't know what I've done. No, but he does. And he loves you. Let me tell you how much he loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins. Isn't that amazing? To be your substitute, to take your place on the cross. That's why Jesus died. And here's the really good news. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He died for your sins and he rose from the grave so he could give you everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe what the Bible says? Then if you do, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. This is where it gets personal for you. The Bible says if you believe that in your heart and you're willing to confess him with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. Not saved from sickness or an accident or a house fire. Saved from sin, from eternity separated from God. Is that what you want? How? That's the question, isn't it? How do you get saved? How do you get your sins forgiven? How do you have that kind of relationship with God? I'm going to give you a verse. If you're not sure you're saved, this is your verse today. You ready? Romans 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take the word whosoever out, put your name in. If you, right where you sit, will call on the Lord, God says he'll hear your prayer, forgive your sin, come into your life, he will save you. Is that what you want? I said I was going to ask everybody in the room to join me in one of two prayers today. Well, here's the first. I'm going to ask every person in this room today that is not sure of your soul's salvation, but you want to be, and you're willing to look to Jesus only as your Savior. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to stand up and give us a speech. I'm asking if you would pray a simple prayer of repentance and faith right where you sit and invite Jesus to come into your life. If you will, I'd like you to join me in that prayer right now. If you want to be saved and know it, you're not talking to me, you're talking to God and God is listening. Would you pray something like this from your heart right now, dear one? Dear God, right now, dear God, I'm a sinner. I could never save myself. And no one else can save me. But I believe that Jesus is God's Son. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I want you to come into my life. Forgive all of my sin and give me a clean heart and the free gift of everlasting life. Jesus, I trust you once and for all to be my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for keeping your promise. Now help me follow you from this day forward. Our heads are bowed and nobody's looking with this preacher.
If I gave you a million dollars this morning, you would not be embarrassed. You'd be excited. And if you just took Jesus as your Savior, you got something a whole lot better than a million dollars. You could never spend it up. It's called eternal life. So I don't think you'll be embarrassed to tell me. I want to ask right now, how many people in this room today would say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer from my heart to God a moment ago. And I not only prayed it, I meant it. And from my heart today, I'm trusting Jesus to be my personal Savior. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the air with mine right now, would you? God bless you. And you? God bless you. I see you. If you just raised your hand, would you lift your head and look at me for just a moment? Nobody's looking at me and you. I want to congratulate you. And you? And you? On the greatest decision you ever made in your life. Can I tell you something personal? This happened in my life 42 years ago. 42 years ago. It gets better every day. Do you know why? I've made some dumb decisions I regret, but this wasn't one of them. When you take Jesus as your Savior, he gives you new life in Christ. I will not embarrass you. Will you trust me? I asked you to trust Jesus a moment ago, but will you trust me? I will not embarrass you. I won't make you stand up and give a speech. I'm getting ready to ask all these Christians if they'll come join me in a prayer. That's the second prayer. I don't want you lost in the shuffle. I'd like a lady to pray with each of you and give you something to take home that you can read now about knowing for sure you're saved and following Jesus. So without any music, I'm having you look at me because I want you to know that I'm for you and I don't want to do anything on earth to embarrass you at all. I'm, I'm trying to help you before you leave. Here's what I'm going to do. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I'm going to ask each of you that today ask Jesus to be your Savior. If you're quiet, though, while nobody's looking, get out of your seat and come right here to this front row. Pastor, would you come stand right here with your Bible? And we're going to have a lady to pray with each of you and give you something you can take home about knowing Jesus. I want to be the first to say congratulations on the greatest decision you ever made in your life. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you when he died on the cross. Don't be ashamed of him today. One, two, three. Would you get up right now and come and tell us God bless you. That's great. Will you come and tell us you trusted Jesus today? Wonderful. Praise God. Young lady, will you come and tell us? If we could have some ladies here to pray with people. That's very good. My wife can help. She needs to. Lauren, anybody. Young lady, did you trust Jesus today? Will you come let somebody have a prayer with you? Let them give you something. We're so happy for you following Christ. Anybody else? You say, today, today's my day. I want to be a true follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you didn't pray, but you want to. You want to talk to somebody. Why don't you come now and let somebody show you from the Bible how to have your sins forgiven. That's wonderful. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to be baptized now that you're saved. Or you're not a member of this church and God's leading you to join. You get up and come tell the pastor right now. I don't want you lost. I don't want to miss somebody like that. If you need spiritual help and counsel, you come now and let us help you. Amen. How many Christians here today are glad God's working? Yes? So here, let's make it personal. Is God working in you? I'd like all the believers to lift your head and look at me just a minute. Would you look at me? Here's the invitation. Real simple and straightforward. We're going to get right to business. How many of you know you're saved and you're glad about it? How many of you know we've done a lot more murmuring, mumbling, and complaining than we have giving God praise and glory? And we all need a little spiritual reset in that, yes? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a closing prayer. This is the second prayer for Christians. Now, I don't mean to be funny by asking this. I really don't. How many of you can kneel? I mean by that, get down and get back up again. You know, we take a lot.